politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter. It's a tall order, but we are delivering here at CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today for Thursday, February 29th, our once every four years bonus day. I wish we could get a bonus in our policy outcomes, but sadly... We are getting screwed. Today is one of the most telling, teachable days ever. And, and, and I really mean that. On the one hand, yesterday was such an amazing day. So much is going on. And you're going to find every other one of my colleagues is going to be really chipper and happy today. And I'm going to be down in the doldrums. Sorry, <laughs> that's got to tell you the truth. And it all gets back to focusing on the issues that matter and the way they matter at the time they matter. You see, there's three main stories. There's probably more, a lot more, but there's three main stories nationally before we get into state issues that are going on. There is one one out of the three will determine every outcome we could actually hope to achieve at all. And it's within our sphere of influence and the sphere of influence of those with access to Trump to make a difference. And there are two issues that are largely or completely out of our hands, a spent force, the the cost is sunk, and there's nothing we can do about it. They'll be focused on the two, which seem very, you know, promising, so therefore they're happy. I'm focused on the one, so therefore I'm not. And this continues to play out but it's a microcosm of what we deal with every day. And what I'm talking about is it's the Supreme Court's decision to take up, by the way, it's not Trump's appeal. It's Jack Smith's appeal um, on the question of um, immunity for a president. And then in the meantime, put the trial and the trial court on hold. There's Mitch McConnell announcing he's going to resign as leader at the end of the year, which I think he'll just resign from the Senate. And then there is... Of course, what actually matters, and that is despite the fact that you will never get a more important issue with greater political tailwinds behind you to engage in a budget fight over the border invasion, Johnson is selling out not just, I mean, not just that he's not fighting, but he's actually giving away automatic spending cuts, even if you don't want to fight on the policies like the border, that he gets for free. And you know what? I don't blame him. The reason he's selling us out is because my colleagues aren't focused on it. And Trump's not focused on it. And Trump supports him. And my colleagues won't pressure Trump to pressure him. So why should he do it? Because we don't care. Because we're winning. Don't worry. We're going to win the election. It's going to be all good. Somehow it's all going to go away. We're going to get great things going on. So we're going to talk about this coming up, the the details of the budget betrayal, we're going to have Chip Roy coming up later on to chronicle that. But I want to first start off with the other two stories, why they don't matter, and why my colleagues are interpreting them wrong, and why their interpretation is born out of their inability to focus on what matters at the time it matters, because in the case of McConnell, he certainly did matter a decade ago. 10 to 15 years ago when I was trying to do it. But now that they didn't join me, he's it's a, it's a sunk cost. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. So we're going to get into that and then work back to the budget. First, our sponsor today is Birch Gold. <laughs> you know, remember when they were saying for three months we defeated inflation? We're even going to have rate cuts this year. Remember they are promising six rate cuts. I have a whole big article coming out. It's a long essay on where we are with stagflation in the economy, how it's actually worse than it's ever been. Now suddenly they're like, oh, we might need to raise interest rates. Now, I'm not agreeing to the premise that raising interest rates is a good idea and that and, and that that's somehow going to solve inflation. The point is, inflation is here to stay. That is why 
as you guys finish up your 2023 taxes over the next few weeks is when you're going to be finishing it up. Um, I'm going to probably owe a few thousand dollars. So one way of defraying that so the government doesn't get it is you put it into an IRA. And you, you could do that even for the previous year. If you didn't do it before December, you could do it before tax filing. Where are you going to put that money? Well, I say you should put it into gold, something of value. Text Daniel to 989898 to get your free info kit on gold. Then talk, talk to one of our precious metals specialists on how to protect your savings um, to persist from persistent inflation uh, with gold or silver. Text Daniel to 989898 today. And, and this is something we're going to be talking about also in the coming days. I do believe that making gold and silver official currencies and enabling the the state treasurer in these red states to open up bank accounts where you could actually pay with a credit card, but it would be debited against, or a debit card would be debited against the gold in your uh, account that is offset. So your funding is offset by that. That is li- literally, we have the ability to collapse this entire system um the entire economic stranglehold that the feds and the federal reserve have over us i think it's ultimately the best way to make red states independent something we're going to talk about in the coming days but i want to get back to the stories of the day so my colleagues let's start with the supreme court stuff so i don't think any of them deep down think that you're going to get five votes on the supreme court to say that Trump is immune. Okay. I, I I don't, and I don't think any of them are stupid enough to believe that. So there, ha- but nonetheless, you'd be happy. Well, oh, they're pushing off the trial. Okay. This is where maybe I see things differently. Mike, I, I disagree with my colleagues in two ways, and they're and the two ways are connected. Number one, they believe that Trump is a shoo-in for re-election. And I just, I, I'm not going to rehash that today. I just don't see that. Not saying it's impossible, but I'm saying it's certainly not a shoe in that you could just rely on. And number two, they believe, and this is connected because they think Trump is such an electoral juggernaut, that therefore the left wanted to t- literally, de ex machina, come in and physically remove him from the board. And I always felt no, because if you had time to remove him, then we could replace him. One thing Democrats are not going to do is they don't want to run with literally no opponent because the public won't accept that. You need a straw man GOP, and that's what they want. Rather, they understand that he is very unelectable, and their goal was to ensure that he is kept on the board until it's too late, and then they pull the hammer on him so that they could go and start embarrassing him. The idea is to sully him, dirty him with a cloud of suspicion. And nothing that happened yesterday negates that, and it only only furthers that, because remember, this was actually not Trump's appeal. They're technically actually granting Jack Smith's appeal. If you had a trial right now, either his name would be cleared, or it would become clear that he's unelectable, and Republicans could replace him. They want to push it off. They want Trump to be locked and loaded in August. Everyone's like, oh, he can't be convicted until before. Yeah, no, he won't be convicted. That was, that was always a straw man. Come Labor Day, they drop the hammer. They embarrass him. And remember, yes, this is unfair. Yes, yes it's the Fourth Reich. Yes, it's a two-tier justice system. Yes, Biden and others have done worse. But the reality is there are going to be a lot of embarrassing things and statements of Trump that come up that they're going to pound away. Because remember, timing is everything. We like feast on polls seven months, eight months before an election like we did in 2022. But the left focuses their operation, both their messaging operation and their ground game when it actually matters, which is in September and October. And especially October is really, unfortunately, when the voting is taking place, not in November because, you know, we have a month of voting. They're going to have the greatest ground game you've ever seen, and they're going to have um, – that's when they're going to start with their messaging, and you know that's when the trials are going to start heating up or the preliminaries to it. 
That's all they want. They want him as the nominee, but they want him in the weakest vulnerable position at the most auspicious time because unlike our side that has ADHD, they actually focus on the issues that matter and the way they matter at the time they matter. Now, unless you think the Supreme Court is not just going to take it up to delay, but actually side with him, again, that's very hard to imagine because I I personally don't agree with the argument of plenary um, immunity. So I I cannot make that argument. I can't imagine you're going to have Kavanaugh and Barrett agree to that. And even, even Thomas, it's hard to see him doing that. Now, there's another argument, which is that it's freedom of speech. It's political speech they're criminalizing. Um, and that's the stronger argument, but that, that's not the subject of this case. But anyway, that's where I see that happening. So, But, but moreover, the Supreme Court's going to do what they do. DOJ is going to do what they do. Okay, we can't influence the legal proceedings. What we can do is influence Trump to get on message, talk about the issues which he's not talking about, make the right endorsements, pressure Republican governors to sign and veto the right bills. I'm going to get to that in a minute. And obviously engage on the budget bill, which he's not because he supports it because Johnson wouldn't be doing anything without his support. Remember, when Trump weighs in, like on the Langford bill, boy, did it make a difference. But on this, he won't weigh in because he doesn't support a government shutdown and he never will. And that's a big problem. Or using that as leverage. Building a ground game. See, remember, elections are very technical. The fact of the matter is they have no money. And it's all going to legal bills, which is why you don't have the guy who's on the hook for the criminal trials to be the nominee. It makes no sense. You have to have another guy do that. Um, th- th- there's no ground game. There's no anything. That's what needs to be done. Ha ha ha. My commentary on the legalities of the – it doesn't do anything for you. So we didn't win anything. Okay, ne- next thing. Yay, McConnell, McConnell is stepping down. Oh, who, who, who are we going to get? Who, let's game this out. It doesn't matter. I have a lot to say on this. When McConnell actually mattered, right? It was never. It was never uh, in doubt that he was going to resign. If anything, we thought he couldn't even go on another day, and he's now announcing he's going to stay for the rest of the year. And by the way, McConnell's getting the last laugh. He's influencing yet another cycle of primaries. He's getting Jim Justice in. West Virginia, she in Montana, and Trump went along with it. So McConnell gets the last laugh. But that in itself is emblematic of where we are. Everyone's like, Daniel, who do you think we'll get? We'll get crap or urine. Those are our choices. And you want to know why those are our choices? It's because when it actually did matter over the course of the last three to five really longer senatorial cycles, that every rhino, I could I could look my kids in the eye, I could go up to heaven and look God in the eye and say, I used my platform, just like I, be, I did yesterday with a candidate, to support every candidate that we were able to get against all these 30 to 40 rhinos that you have that are currently situated in the Senate from red states. I tried to get them out. Yet, my colleagues refused to join me with the fight to get out McConnell at that time when McConnell was getting all these people into the Senate. And then they refused to use their influence over Trump when he came a little bit later on and endorsed the re-election of all these people, <clears throat> even after they screwed us. I was on an island. Now everyone's a big hero. Oh, McConnell. Yeah, he, he's a spent force. He was yesterday's establishment. But the new era of establishment is just going to fill his place. You know why? Why can't we get Ron Johnson, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, maybe a Josh Hawley, maybe a J.D. Vance? Why can't we get those people? Because the rank and file within the Senate don't support them. Why, why don't we have people who support them? Because when it actually mattered, which was from 2010 to 2014 to get out McConnell and his lieutenants, I was on an island. And then when Trump became the big thing, rather than endorsing the opponents of all these people, he supported them. So go eat it. I don't want to hear about McConnell. Suddenly everyone's a hero. 
Big hero. There's nothing bold about dealing with a guy who's already out of favor after he already did all of his damage. It's seeing the stitches on the fastball like Rush Limbaugh used to say. You know, my wife made a, uh, she's a graphic designer, made, made a political cartoon for me. I, I've said this before, but for those of you who haven't heard, in 2010, you know, we Democrats had a trifecta, radically removing the Overton window on bad policies, Obamacare, and we were hoping to win a big election. And I basically wrote a column saying, what is the point of winning if we win with the same Republicans and if Mitch McConnell is leader? And, you know, I had a kind of a political cartoon around McConnell in a rhino, dressed up as a rhino instead of an elephant and, you know, sitting at a tea party. I've been fighting McConnell since 2009. I was on an island. I supported a challenger against him in 2014. I was on an island. We tried to get rid of him six years later when he was finally unpopular. Trump preemptively endorsed him. So go eat it. Go eat it. It's a big hero now, but do you know what McConnell circa 2008 to 2014 kind of looked like? Kind of Trump today. Meaning where on the surface, he looked very effective at what he was doing and everyone thought, but below the surface, he was actually subversive. Now everyone gets that. And in a few years, they'll get that about Trump. After it's too late. Donald Trump is the new McConnell. And Donald and the people who curry favor among his crowd and Trump himself are the new McConnells. So basically what we have here today is we have a choice, and I'm not sure which direction it's going to go, between literally younger versions of McConnell or the equivalent of a McConnell in 2024, which on the surface is going to appear further to the right and more aligned with the base as Mitch McConnell, by the way, was back in his heyday. It's just going to reset it. So in other words, either you get Cornyn or Thune, which are sort of the next in line. Cornyn was the prior whip. Thune is the current whip, and they're, you know, literally the same as McConnell. Now, the MAGA crowd and the Trump world gets that. Trump, you know, because Thune was very reluctant to endorse uh, Trump, and Trump never had a good relationship with him. Cornyn's a little bit more complicated with Trump personally, but Paxton hates him, so, and the whole base. So I'm pretty confident Trump, maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but but let's just say Trump will come down hard against Cornyn or Thune. Now, in this case, normally Trump, his influence is all the difference. In this case, remember, it's an inside game. It's literally 49 people voting, and most of them are big rhinos. So I don't know if, it, and it's a secret ballot, so I, I don't know if he would even necessarily be able to defeat them. But let's say he could. What are the other options? Are we going to get a Rand Paul, a Ron John? No. You're going to get what I would argue is even worse. You're going to get a Senate equivalent of Ron Johnson where they're in good standing with Trump. They're in good standing with MAGA. They'll placate the base and come to their events. Unlike McConnell, they'll, they'll, they'll be what McConnell was 15 years ago. In other words, when it comes to the issues that matter and the way they matter, the budget bills, we can't have a government shutdown, we can't go after vaccines, all that stuff. But they'll just give us a little bit more opium or hopium. Who is that? So it's either going to be John Barrasso, who's the next rung down. He's the number three guy. So he's the same thing, but he just makes sure to maybe not vote for all the bad bills. Same same establishment guy, but he kissed up to Trump, so Trump likes him now. You'll get Steve Daines, who's the NRSC chair, who is the guy that worked with McConnell to get out Rosendale. Or Marco Rubio, the signaling he wants the job. Big neocon, but he's trying to reinvent himself as a populist. I could, by the way, I could make the argument 
that it's better to have Korn and Arthun because then it's just a clean break from them. Whereas these guys will have the Trump support and the institutional support and the clout to screw us. And that and that leads me to what's happening with Johnson, where Johnson is screwing us worse than Boehner, Ryan, or McCarthy ever did, but there's no impetus to even fight him now because he has the ritual red blood and he's officially a social conservative, so good to go. And he's the guy we wanted, we fought for. So we're going to expend our political... I'm just gaming out. This is what's likely going to happen. We're going to expend our political capital on someone like a Danes or a Barrasso against a Thornin or a, a, a Cornyn or Thune. I'm not sure who would win that fight. Ultimately, what would happen? But either way, it's bad, and I could make an argument that the ones that Trump will want is actually going to be even worse, more subversive. Kind of like the equivalent of, of Johnson. So. Folks, I'm sorry, but 15 years too late, I take no happiness in being done with McConnell. Because they're just going to pass it on to the new one. And you know why? Because that's what the membership of the GOP Senate is. And you want to know why? Because nobody joined me in fighting McConnell when it mattered, fighting his lieutenants when it mattered, and Trump gave all the conservative goodwill towards those guys, and they're there and 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 we don't have the votes. We can I mean, right now, we don't have the votes in the House with the budget. So you think you're going to get a good guy in the Senate, GOP? That is done by a mile. I'm sorry. I have the right to say it makes no difference because I actually tried to make a difference when it mattered. But, you know, I, I just want you to know, as novel as my view is today, that Trump is really subversive to his stated or perceived beliefs, it was at least as novel when I made that case about McConnell in 2014, much less in 2009. And even as late as 16, 17. It was only the last couple of years that it's become cool. Oh, McConnell's horrible. I was out on an island. Donald Trump and the people who bask in his refuge are the new Mitch McConnells. And that's what you're going to get. Christy Nome is the new Mitch McConnell. So it's like, would I rather have an, someone who's openly hostile to us or a Christy Nome? I'd probably rather have someone who's openly hostile. So I'm just going to tell you the alternatives realistically that you're going to get to Th- Thune or Cornyn are going to be along, think along the lines of a Christy Gnome. That's what a Barrasso or a Steve Daines are. I'm sorry. That's just how it is. We don't have the votes to get, you know, kind of one of those 10, the 10 better guys. And we just don't. We have 10 votes. Remember, despite all of McConnell's feebleness, he won 40 to 10 real renomination in, in conference. He has the votes. That's just how it is. And there's nobody who is more to blame for that than Trump. But let's go on to the budget. So no, so so the, we're all happy about that. But this is where we had our leverage. Remember, we don't have leverage over the Senate. They're they're rogue because of what I just mentioned. We don't have the votes there. We don't have control over the courts. We don't have control over DOJ. But we do have control over the U.S. House. And certainly Johnson is a member in good standing. He talks to Trump on a regular basis. Clearly, Trump is okay with the budget sellout. This is what we needed him for, not not uttering a word. So basically, what their plan is, kind of like I told you yesterday, they're voting on a CR today that continues funding for um, energy and water, interior transportation, HUD, commerce, justice, science, so all the talk about J6 and the weaponization, they're funding that for another week. And then the others, such as Defense, Homeland Security, Labor, HHS, will be funded until March 22nd. And in the meantime, he is going to craft bills that have no policy riders and actually increase spending $30 billion over Pelosi's levels 
and that's going to be the win. He's They're going to pass it with Democrat support, as he's done. He's going to bring it up under suspension of the rules, which is something that almost rarely did Boehner and these guys do. We have gone backwards from Boehner's day. In Boehner's days, we got the Budget Control Act, with just control of the House. In Boehner's days, we would never have given up something we get automatically. The whole thing was they always wanted to, to do a clean CR. They didn't want to fight. In this case, a clean CR would at least result in an automatic, a long-term CR, meaning for the rest of the year, going over the April 40th, 30th deadline, would result in automatic cuts of about $72, 76000000000 billion to non-defense spending. Wouldn't cut defense spending. That's, that's Massey's provision. And now we're throwing that away for free. We get it for free. So not only is Johnson scared of a government shutdown, even with everything going on on this very week with Lake and Riley and all the murders and rapes and child molestation from illegal aliens that the public totally understands, but he's scared of the April 30th automatic cuts. So they all go and say, oh, the Biden inflation, Biden inflation. Yet not only did Republicans really vote for it, and Donald Trump signed it. Remember, this is COVID. This is the Republican Senate and the Republican um, president. And even though they didn't have the House, it was Pelosi, but every Republican except for the few Freedom Caucus guys supported it. And they all beat up Massey, even though they were in the minority, for opposing it. So they caused the inflation. And then now they are not only supporting the entire baseline, but increasing spending. So I don't want to hear another word about Biden inflation. I don't want to hear another word about it. It's Republican inflation. It's Trump inflation. I'm sorry. That's how it is. He controls the party lock, stock, and barrel. When he wants to speak up, he does. So therefore, when he doesn't, it's strategic. Now, you can have small issues maybe aren't on his radar, like there's this tax bill we talked about percolating around, changing some, you know, the the child tax credit, whatever. He probably doesn't know about that. The people around him probably don't know, know about that. But on this, you, they absolutely know about it. But it's okay. We have gone backwards. My colleagues won't even talk about it. They won't even fight for it. They won't exert their influence like we did in the Boehner days. We have gone backwards. It's pathetic. By the way, did you know that the one of the bills that would expire in 24 hours from now or whatever, 36 hours, is um, the VA? But did you know that the VA is already appropriated for? That was part of the debt ceiling deal. So the VA, even the non-essential, a lot of it's essential, even the non-essential wouldn't shut down. It's already funded. The VA is actually already funded. So you would have, tonight it would be like HUD? And water, I mean, it, it's just like, really? They couldn't even fight through that. Utterly, utterly pathetic. Utterly pathetic. And by the way, at the same time, I, I want to give you another example. So, so we're not using Trump's access to Trump and his influence to actually change things. This is our Esther moment that you are made queen for a time like this. When the destruction, the genocide against the Jews, it wasn't external. Xerxes, you're the king. Don't you love me? Don't you know I'm your queen? Oh, I didn't know it was your people. I didn't know you were Jewish. And she saved the Jews. It's the same thing here. Trump controls Johnson, and he controls Republican governors. And these people are raping us. Why aren't, why isn't this robust Trump movement going to the man and saying, could you save us? Let me give you an example on the state level. South Dakota and South Carolina. Henry McMaster and Christy Nome are among the governors who are in the greatest favor of Trump. Trump unsolicitedly always talks about how great Henry, Henry McMaster is. Certainly Christy Nome we know. Did you realize that we are getting screwed on both in both states in in um in 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 real time. South Dakota, SB201 passed both houses, passed the Senate, 
passed the House 4030 yesterday. That's the bill that denudes localities of their ability to regulate carbon capture pipelines so they could steal property. This is happening. The most nightmarish WEF agenda in South Dakota. So some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, pass the House, pass the Senate. So now it goes to Christy Nome. I am the only one calling on her to veto it. Where are my colleagues demanding that Trump pick up the damn phone and say veto this bill? I don't want to hear, oh, we don't have the power. It's the rhinos. It's the Democrats. It's Biden. It's the media. This is right in your house. Trump owns Christy Nome. You pick up that call, she'll veto it. I promise you, she'll veto it. And as of now, I can't get any traction. South Carolina. Remember we talked about that bill that creates a health czar and then creates a provision that the health czar could call out the National Guard to enforce public health edicts and the sheriffs are required to enforce it. My friend Josiah Magnuson, one of the Freedom Caucus members, had an amendment to strip out that provision. It was voted down 90-20, meaning we didn't get a single vote outside the Freedom Caucus. Every Republican, in light of everything we've experienced with COVID, not only are they not passing good bills to strengthen individual rights against um, public health Nazis, they're increasing that power. So pass the Senate. Might looks like it's going to pass the House. We couldn't strip it out. Well, it goes to McMaster. Trump says McMaster is awesome. Now is the time to call in that favor and get him to veto it. By the way, by the way, a similar vote, 88-21, uh, the chairman, Rep- Representative Adam Morgan, had, had an amendment to prohibit registered lobbyists from serving as that hell czar for a minimum of five years. Just a simple thing like that. They voted it down. So we are now left with the things that we could actually influence, a.k.a. GOP-controlled house with a guy, especially a guy like Johnson, down-ballot primaries, no effort to support any of the candidates I had, went in the garbage, you know, the challenger Eubanks against Wicker. Oh, it's terrible, terrible, terrible. Well, I could get you an, a, a vote. Vote for Eubanks over Wicker and you'll have a vote for a better GOP leader. Wicker is a, a sure vote for Thuner Cornyn or one of them. No, nothing. Absolutely nothing. But we're left with just, just let it go on autopilot. He'll win. And don't worry. It will just come out of nowhere. The polls. The polls. And uh, yeah. We are now at a point where, like, I when we used to have these budget sellouts, I used to be, people would book me up all over talk radio to talk about it. Now it's like, pfft, doesn't even, they don't even know what's happening. Don't care. Don't know. What will actually matter. But this is what we've incentivized with this entire thing of social media memeing. So now a 25-year-old could somehow get a certain shtick online and that gets them a couple million followers, and they're the big thought leaders. They are our thought leaders. It's the blind leading the blind. We just meme. And, and again, it doesn't matter. To them, they don't care if we lose the budget, if we lose elections, primaries or general. We lose legislative fights in places that we should be owning at 80-20. They don't know. They don't care. Because they could wake up the next day and earn a good living. Getting on TV, getting famous, just doing their stuff. And that's what it is. It's like we have this sideshow, and then we have the actual playing field. So I focus on the playing field, and we're losing when we don't have to lose, and I'm very upset about it. These guys are focused on, on you know, flirting with the cheerleaders. So they're, they're taken care of. Should be happy it's females. Increasingly, it's males, and we're all happy. You know, the Tennessee log cabins, Tennessee log cabin Republicans put out a tweet showing two men kissing at a wedding in Mar-a-Lago. I promise you that just happened. But then again, they held a gala party last year celebrating Biden signing a bill mandating gay marriage on red states. So 
You know, they literally, Carrie Lake was there celebrating it. All, you know, all the, all the people in good standing, they had a party celebrating that. A- and we think we're making progress. Daniel, I, I, I'm sorry, it's Biden that way. And do we want Biden? No, schmucko, there's a third option that eight months before the election to, let me repeat it, get him on message, get him to use his voice on the right issues, on the right leverage, on the right primaries, get us focused on the red state legislative sessions, support all the candidates that I'm having on the show that could totally win in red states that will actually change the things you you know, complain, complain about or pretend to be bothered by. It's that my, my point is nothing has changed from 15 years ago. People think we're making progress because we're done with the Bushes. We're done with McConnell. We're done with Romney, which, by the way, Trump endorsed against a challenger who, who won the Utah convention, in the, uh, a state legislator. Um, we're done with McCain. They weren't going to live forever or last forever in politics. We just have the new version. Remember, they start out sounding like us but screwing us from day one. Eventually, they're exposed. They fall out of favor. You get the new one. That's what we do. It's the same thing. You're not making progress. It's a hamster on, on, on a spinning wheel. But I, w- I want to delve into how devastating this, this issue is with the budget deal with, with our next guest. So, folks, whenever we're in one of these predicaments, we always want to have on our good friend Chip Roy who will always not not only just stick by us on the issue, but give us a good sense of what is going on and possibly if there are any alternative actions we can do or fight for what to call your congressman about. Um, hey, Chip, good to have you back, but not such a happy day. How you doing? Well, Daniel, I'm doing all right. I mean, look, uh, you know, it is what it is. You know, I'm um, happy to get into what's, what's happening here on the floor. It's just the swamp doing what the swamp does. Um, the Uniparty is real. And we've been chipping away at it, and and we moved the needle some, and we're just going to have to keep pushing to move it. But uh, this is a a bad place to land, unfortunately, uh, right now. But we'll have to keep fighting through it. So I want to get a, a sense of where the state of play is, just so people know. So the bill itself that they're going to pass today, in and of itself, just extends half the government for another seven days, the other half for another three weeks. That theoretically, if you would buy time, that every day you would message we will not fund the invasion look at another rape look at another murder look at this we will not do it and you pass a good bill with the right riders or at least pick one like the border theoretically we could build time we're all for you know kicking it down the road but am i right to assume that's not where they're headed with this no you're right daniel i mean look if if we're going to do a short-term cr go down to the floor and say that we're going to hold the line like you just described, that we're not going to fund the government that's at war with the American people, that we're going to demand that we secure the border, that we're going to demand that we just pick a fight, right? Um, yeah, then you can use that extended short-term CR to try to do that. That's not what's hap- That is not what is happening. What is happening is that you've got a short-term CR that instead is going to buy time for them to negotiate, finish negotiating, although I think they may have already finished it. Now it's just time for getting the bill put together and then released and we'll see it. I think probably Monday, uh, maybe even before to have 72 hours. Uh, but it will be, you know, at the 1660 level, what that means is 30 billion over Nancy Pelosi's spending levels, right? The big omnibus bill we opposed violently a mere 15 months ago, it's going to be 30 billion more than that. And it's not going to have any serious policy wins. Uh, the way the speaker puts it is like, Oh, we've got some singles and some doubles. Well, that's code in the swamp where you didn't get much. You didn't get anything real. And then we will get no real leverage on the border and no real leverage uh, to drive spending down. So what we could have done instead, as you and your listeners know, is pass a full year uh, appropriation, a full year CR that would trigger caps, right? And would uh, save about $70 billion out of the non-defense. Now, that's a bunch of inside baseball jargon, but it's a 10% cut to the overall federal bureaucracy. So we would have cut EPA. We would have cut, you know, uh, where a lot of the regulations are occurring in the interior and in HHS, all these bureaucrats are at war with the people and ATF agents and all of that. And we would have been able to um, put some pressure on how much Biden is using that bureaucracy to target the American people and then use that for leverage for the border. 
But here's the dirty little secret. Last point I'll make before my filibuster is over. This isn't about, as the speaker has said and others, oh, I can't get a rule. That's nonsense. What's really going on is the overall powers that be, including leadership, want to fund defense at higher levels, want to fund Ukraine, uh, want to have FISA spying authority without a warrant. That's just the truth. And so that's what we're up against. So I want to make sure we have this correct because this is a very important point you're making. This is something that we've gone backwards from the times of Boehner and Ryan, where I don't think we've ever had a dynamic. Usually it's where they want the status quo. They just don't want to ruffle feathers. So let's just do a clean CR. And we want to fight on Ed stuff in there because we believe it's a winning issue and it's important for the American people. Like, no, 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 we'll be blamed. So whatever. Here, it's it's the first time ever that because of the massy provision in the debt ceiling deal, we've incurred all the liabilities of that deal. So now we're up to the one benefit of it that's going to come to fruition that simply by doing a clean CR... You get $70 billion in cuts, but all weighted towards non-defense, and you get that for free that they would, have, they would be the ones shutting down the government for opposing a clean CR. So we could do one of two things. We could have, you know, again, there's a lot of things you and I would fight on. We know they don't believe in that. Fine. But at a minimum, you could use that built-in leverage to either get the spending cuts or to whittle down a negotiation to get border stuff, which is an 80-20 winning issue, and yet they're seeding what we already have, right? We're going. So I would argue it's not a single, it's a ground ball into a double play. Yeah, no, it's a, or to use another sports analogy, it's an unforced error, right? It's, it's, this is, we, we are holding in our hand a really strong hand of poker, right? Got a full house. You got a, you got a straight. You may not have a royal straight flush, but you got a daggum good hand. And meanwhile, you're kind of looking out there, and you know the best you're thinking the other side has right now is a pair of twos. And yet you're going to sit there and say, nah, I'm going to fold, because you're unwilling. You don't even have to go all in. You're just unwilling to even just play the hand, go out and just freaking ante up a little bit, go through, and anting up simply here means that you're willing to recognize that, yeah, the government might partially shut down for a brief period of time. Yes, they'll message against you, but you're messaging into a border crisis that we're overall winning. You're messaging into our desire to secure the border. You're messaging into legislation that we passed last year on a bipartisan basis. You and I opposed it because of the side deals, the side deals that are killing us right now. You and I opposed it because it wasn't good enough. But at the end of the day, compared to what we're doing, it's law passed on a bipartisan basis that would trigger caps that would constrain non-defense spending. So you have defense flat, veterans flat, non-defense would get cut. The truth is, let me repeat the truth. The leadership of the Republicans, they do not want to force the triggering of the cuts because they're beholden to saying we need more defense spending and we need more Ukraine spending and we need FISA not to have warrant protection. That's the truth. Wait, wait a minute. So at least admit the truth. You're telling me... So to be clear, the, the caps wouldn't cut more, but they want to plus up military spending. So that's why they want a new appropriation, because they want even more. So they believe that if you throw another $20 billion at the whatever, $850 billion, that then we'll be able to handle uh, fifth century Houthis blocking our shipping lanes that we can't do now. And then, then we won't have... Uh, grooming new soldiers that set themselves on fire on behalf of Hamas. I mean, like somehow that's going to solve Correct. a recruitment issue. D- Daniel, you couldn't, uh, I couldn't have said it better, right? That's exactly what we're talking about. And look, I'm sure you and I sitting in a vacuum with our friends said, okay, look, if you feel like you need to increase defense spending uh, in order to make sure we build out our Navy so that we can, you know, push back on an increasing belligerently China over the years and so forth. I mean, look, I was a Reagan guy. I like a military buildup. We spent 5.7% of GDP on defense in the 1980s to go beat the commies, beat the Soviets through a Cold War. Yeah, there was some funding in the past to some groups in Afghanistan. And I was, like, I'm not blind <laughs> to needing to have an actual military that's strong. I'm supportive of that. What I'm not supportive of is a blind adherence to believing that you have to do whatever the defense complex says so that you can then go out and say, well, we're doing this for democracy in Ukraine. Chip, you understand the threats in the world. We're going to die if we do not spy on Americans without warrant protections. Like, literally, that's what your Republicans are not just allowing. It's what they're fighting for. So this is the crap that I'm tired of. 
And you know what? My Republican colleagues are mad at me for saying this, but I'd like them to debate me on the merits on it, because the truth is they don't want to. They don't want to say that to the Republican base and the people that show up to vote. And they're mad at me for calling it out because they chip, you're going to cost us the election. What good is it to have the damn win? What good is it to get in the majority if all you're going to do is wait around saying what you need to do to not lose the majority? <laughs> and then they're going to lose it anyway. And here's what I don't understand. Correct. Here's what I understand. We're not now. I'm not seeding the point that somehow we lost politically on any government shutdown. There's literally no evidence in political science that we did. In fact, in 1996, they they picked up seats in the Senate after the shutdown. But whatever. Back then, you were fighting on Head Start and these programs. I would say maybe a lot of Americans are on them and they're popular. We're literally the main issue we want to fight on. There's a lot we would do, but I think what we're all you know understand is an issue that is be become so indefensible for them and so destructive to our nation has the the lake and riley murder and then there's a whole slew of these others thing other cases in the week of a budget um deadline now to be clear what would shut down friday night i just realized this because i didn't know this before one of them is va but va actually has full appropriations already so even the non-essential va would not shut down so it's like hud you can't have a border. I mean, is there anything that could happen? I, I used to say a joke. If Biden would bring in Hamas to rape their wives, would they say we can't have a government shutdown to fight it? But that actually is kind of happening because he imported this Trende Aragua gang that seems to be doing that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not an issue with them. Yeah. I mean, look, Daniel, the, the thing here that is important is – Taking a step back, everything you're just talking about there, and just I'm going to bring this to to a, a final kind of point because then I got to go to the Judiciary Committee and, and go work on some things. But is look, we have the opportunity right now, in my opinion, to set the stage for 2025. Now, you know, we, we're all hoping that we end up winning the, the White House, the Senate, and the and the and the and the House Representatives to accomplish something. What I'm trying to push on my colleagues now to understand is, like, do you think there's a world in which I want to be out here, un, you know, uh, favorable towards a, a Republican position when I want to be ripping the heads off of radical progressive Democrats who are destroying our country? Of course, that's where I want our focus to be. But we've got to have something we can unite around to go sell. And it's very difficult for me to rally around continuing more of the same, funding more continuation of endless conflicts around the globe, funding more wide open borders, funding the bureaucrats that are at war with us. And okay, but chip, we're in divided government. I know. All I was asking you to do was put on the floor a CR that would trigger the caps. That's it. That was all I wanted. And, and then, you know what, if we can't get that done, that's not the speaker's fault at the end of the day. You do everything you can, you whip it, the body's going to speak. But why wouldn't we put forward a the, the one thing we have in our hand that we passed yes. on a bipartisan basis last year? Chip, this is before you came trigger to, the cuts. Yeah. No, I was just going to say this before you came to Congress. But generally, during the Boehner years, they would always at least roughly put the good bill on the floor and pass it. And then right. you could always reserve the prerogative to cave, which they usually did when the deadline would come. What I'm finding shocking now is are you mean to tell me you wouldn't have support? for a clean CR with HR2? Daniel, let me make it worse than that. Yes, my, my position for the last three months, let's rewind the clock real quick. We get a CR heading into November, right? And that was all the stuff that went on with Kevin, right? I mean, heading into October, right? And then, then we have the speaker's battle, all right? So now mid-November, we get another CR heading to Thanksgiving. Uh, the speaker said, well, we can't, we don't have time. We're not ready yet. Okay. We'll fight in December. Okay. What are we going to fight? And we're going to fight on the border. We're going to fight. Well, NDAA, we'll get a strong NDA. We're going to fight on spending. Trust me. Well, then what do we do? We do, uh, an NDAA that extends FISA. Well, guess what we learned today in the news 702. They're doing exactly what we expect them to do. Extend FISA for another year. Then what? Well, we got another CR, right? We pushed to have this bifurcated version to give us some leverage that didn't even land where we wanted it to land. And now we pass, we fast forward. Guess what? All of this is being used to then announce in January, negotiate a deal at 1660. And they said, guys, can we at least just put the CR on the floor that triggered the caps? So that's my point. It's worse than what you just said. Yes, we said to the speaker, let's put, let's put CR on the floor with HR2 or some border security measures, right? Let's at least message that. Send it over to the Democrats. Browbeat them. No, we can't do that. It's shut down. Whatever. So then what do we end up with? 
Well, now we only we can't even put just the CR on the floor that would trigger the caps that we passed on a bipartisan basis. So, look, at the end of the day, when I run this fall, I'll run on the fact that we put everything on our field. We moved it to our side of the field to at least have the conversation. Um, we got a flat spending on non-defense discretionary. We cut some of the IRS money and some of the COVID money in order to, you know, uh, backfill. We moved it over for them to even achieve their flat level of non-defense spending. Uh, and you get you know, for free we, by we, virtue of winning back the house I in know. 2022. But yeah. So I know, but like, I'm just telling you, if I have to go put a, a spin on like, because look, we spent two years fighting. I would try to explain what do we got? Well, we changed the processes. We moved the needle over in our direction. Uh, but at the end of the day, the swamp's still going to swamp. And you know why that is? Elections have consequences. We need more conservatives. I'm just being blunt. Well, so like I said, we have one to three weeks. It's not self-executing on its own. Politically, if nothing changes, it will lead into a permanent uh, permanently giving Biden, you know, taking away our last leverage to fight him on having a knockdown drag out fight on the border for the remainder yep. of his term. Well, wouldn't it help if we had in the hopper a motion to vacate just at least filed floating around for I the don't next know. three weeks? Yeah, Daniel, like I'm, I'm going to respectfully not go there right now. Um, as mad as uh, the speaker is at me right now for, for, for making these points, he's a friend and I'm going to try to keep working uh, to figure out how we're going to move forward. I mean, you know, I want to zero in on, on, on making clear to the American people that radical progressive Democrats are killing our country, endangering us, that it is uh, a, a radical ideology that wants to remake our country. And that we have a lot of strong Republicans that are doing their best in a tough environment to try to hold the line. That is all true. I just think these are strategic errors in which we are leaving opportunities on the field for us to electrify and ignite people to support us. That's what I think we're missing out on. I wish it was different. Um, I'm not going to take anything off the table, to be clear, Daniel. I think we, you know, all the tools that we have at our disposal, we need to use to try to force change. But, um, you know, I got to talk to my colleagues and figure out what's next. But, you know, look, I'm going to go to the floor today. I'm going to go speak against this, um, notwithstanding the fact that it frustrates um, some of my colleagues. And, and you know, it's not where I want to be. I'd, I'd rather be rallying around a righteous fight that we're shoving down the throats of Democrats. Instead, we're capitulating in the name of, I don't know, not having rules votes or something, which is ridiculous. You know, on real quick, on one final positive note, you mentioned that ultimately we got to win primaries. And that's, you know, primaries are more important than general elections. Are, do you have any optimism that in next week's Texas elections that there will be some sort of a sea change in the legislature there in the primaries? You know, I hope so. I mean, there's been a lot of folks out there campaigning in Texas to try to make sure we get legislators there that will actually stand up and fight um, based on the school choice vote and others. Uh, Governor Abbott's leaned into it. Attorney General Paxton's leaned into it and others. I hope we get some change. Um, but we'll see. I think if, if I'm predicting it's going to be a mixed bag. I think some people have been targeted who aren't going to get taken down. I think there'll be some uh, where we'll get some some new blood into the legislature, and we're just going to have to kind of keep the heat up over the next year. But look, at the end of the day, hope does not lie with elected politicians. All we can do is stick our fingers in the dike. Hope lies with the people that are standing up and fighting, like Riley Gaines and Chloe Cole and Scott Smith and Mark Houck and Americans across the country have told the federal government that tyrants that are trying to take their freedoms away to pound sand and to go to hell. Uh, this weekend, we will celebrate Texas independence on March 2nd. We're in that window where we celebrate the battles at the Alamo. And, you know, it's not enough to go around and go, oh, look at the Alamo. Wasn't that great? They stood on that wall. Well, what are we doing? Right. And too many people are like, well, I might lose my job. And there are people who be mad at me. And they're going to tweet at me. You know, look, we want to honor those that have fallen in order to give us freedom. We better damn well fight for freedom. So I appreciate you, brother. I got to go into the Judiciary Committee and go, I don't know, vote for something. I'm something, not sure what. Yeah. I gotta, Hopefully I gotta it's go not a jailbreak. But, right. uh, hey, Chip. Yeah. Well, thanks as always. Give them hell. We'll speak to you later. Take care. So, folks, again, that was our good friend Chip Roy. And I, ju I just want to note one thing before sewing up the show with one final observation I have that really sews up today's show, ties everything together. Um, you know, I dropped that question on him about the motion to vacate, and some of you might have been disappointed. But I, I, ironically, it's really a similar dynamic, almost as bad to, as, as the point I made about the Senate. The, the sad reality is that, I mean, I'm not saying I oppose it. I actually, I, I think, why not? I mean, just, I, I would probably do it, motion to vacate. But I think part of his thing is just, he doesn't have the support for it. I mean, you're just you you could take him down, but then there's just gonna be another vote on who's the speaker. You're not gonna get someone anywhere near the league of a Chip Roy or a better Freedom Caucus guy as speaker. You're just not. We 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 don't have that option. 
I mean, this is the old problem that we always like to pick on. It's McCain, it's Romney, it's uh, uh, you know, you know, Ryan and Boehner and the McCarthy and McConnell. It's a reflection of the Republican Party. We are the rhinos. And the reason is because we have slept in every primary and we have slept in every important issue, even in the states where if we only exerted our influence and had a movement akin to what the left has among the Democrat Party, we would have changed this. But we didn't. And this is the hand we're dealt. This is what we're stuck with. We don't have anything. We don't have the ability to do anything. So I'm just saying, I, I without pressing him further, that's probably what he's thinking. He could create all the chaos, but it's not going to go anywhere. You'll, he'll, he'll either win, you know, re, you know, win again, or you'll get, you'll have to agree on someone else. It's the same thing. Doesn't matter. And then remember, lurking over him. Also, just keep in mind, Trump would absolutely oppose a motion to vacate, and especially if it would come from Chip. I'm just thinking of this as I'm talking now. If it would come from Chip, he would specifically oppose it. So technically, a one man could trigger it, but he'd be on an island. It's not going to go anywhere. Because we have the lowest common denominator of the old antiquated GOP still there and the influence of Trump and the two tied together because Trump has largely endorsed a lot of these people <clears throat> in primaries over the last six or so years. With that, I just want to end with one thought. You know, tied into this whole hopium of our guys thinking, oh, you know, Trump's going to win and now the, the legal things aren't a problem and electorally he's going to win and we're all to the promised land on policy, on elections, on everything. You know, you, you don't have to worry. You don't have to focus on the primaries. You don't have to focus on the legislatures. You don't have to focus on the budget. You don't have to, even within the presidential election, actually focus on a messaging and a ground game that will actually ensure he gets elected. Just kind of hopium. One of the, th the dishes of hopium being served is that in Michigan, ha, 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 Biden is having trouble winning because the Muslims all went out in Dearborn. I don't know how many there are, maybe 100,000, which is shocking how many can now vote of these Lebanese Syrians we've let in. And they voted against, for noncommittal, they voted you know as a protest against, against Biden. So there's this theory out there that Trump could automatically win Michigan because all those people that would be part of that core, let's say 100,000, maybe even more, that would have otherwise been part of the Democrat base, they're not going to vote. And I laugh at them. They're, they're learning and drawing the exact wrong conclusion from this. When it comes to a general election, they'll be there. Biden is so rabidly anti-Israel in their administration and they're going to move even more to the left. And certainly if he got a second term, they know they'll get that commitment from him. And, you know, the, the Muslim Brotherhood is thick as, is as thick as thieves with the Democrat Party. They have a ground game. They'll get them on board. OK, they're not going to allow Trump to win over Biden. He, he Right. It, it's 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 pathetic. They're doing this in a primary because unlike our side, they actually utilize primaries to send a message to drag their guys to the left. And they're like, yeah, you might be sticking it to Israel privately, but publicly you're still kind of saying you support Israel and, you know, Hamas has to, you know, stop killing people. That's not enough. So you have to understand a lot of these newly arrived immigrants. So they don't understand the nuances of American politics. And to them, they, you go anywhere else in the world and it's an open thing that Israel is Nazis and Hamas is awesome, right? But in America, that doesn't fly. So the Democrats have to do it a little bit more subtly in the background, but publicly, yeah, yeah, we condemn January, you know, October 7th and whatever. So they're like, what the hell? I mean, October 7th was awesome. Yeah, you know, kill the Jews. Like they think that that resonates in America and eventually it will, but as of now, it still doesn't. So they have to do it more subtly. So they're striking a hard bargain. But the notion that you could count on that as a, that is going to be your hope that you're 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 holding on to that he's going to carry Michigan that the Muslim Brotherhood organizations and ground game will allow Trump to win that's bull. They will vote for Biden 
and 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 rightfully they'll they'll strike a hard bargain and they'll move him even further to the left, which he'll have no problem doing in a second term or whoever takes over from him. That, my friends, is what a movement looks like. That's what we should have been doing with Trump. At least, again, you could reserve that. Like I always say. You could reserve the prerogative to vote for him in the general election, but in the primary, you strike a hard bargain. Say, this is not enough. You're betraying us. Do more. Pick a solid VP. Pick better people. Weigh in on the issues stronger. But we don't do that because we have an industry. They have a movement, and that's just the way it is. Till tomorrow, Micah 6-8. God bless you all, and thank you for listening.